All right, welcome everybody to episode three of Heated Conversations. Today we have a um, a coach all the way from Alabama, the University of Alabama. He used to be um, the head men's gymnastics coach at the University of Illinois. Um, like to welcome Justin Spring. A little thing, a uh, couple things about Justin um, that you may or may not know. He's going into his second season as an assistant coach at Alabama. Um, he's originally from Houston, but grew up in Virginia. Is it Berkey? Is that how you say it? Or Burke? Burke. Burke. I wish it was Berkey. Yeah, Burke. Um, Burke, Virginia. He was uh, the uh, 2008 Olympic bronze medalist with the team um, in Beijing. Um, he went to college at the University of Illinois, and he started coaching um, at the University of Illinois in 2010. In 2006, he was the Nissan Emery Award winner, which is the top senior um, male in the country. Um, and he also is a four-time NCAA champion. Um, let's welcome Justin Spring to the show. Hey, Justin, how are you doing? I'm good. I started coaching in 2006. 2006. I was an assistant coach. Yeah. Okay. So right, right when I graduated, I started assistant coaching like immediately. So then you became the head coach of 2010. Uh, technically nine. They they tried to like keep my pay down by making me the uh, what was it? I was the um, I was the interim. I was like the head coach, but under the director of. Um, gymnastics who was just the women's head coach so i essentially was the head coach i just they they were like they were naturally they were reluctant to give the head coach title to a 26 year old which i get i get um but i was running the men's program solely as the head coach without the title in 2009 so so how, yeah. so how was that transition going from being an athlete because you finish your your career in 2016 as a gymnast and then go uh, or not as a gymnast, uh, 2008, sorry. So you finished um, your college career at Illinois in 2006 and then to go yes. right into assistant coaching. How was that transition for you? I think that, that wasn't that bad, actually. Um, going from, I there and, and it's so funny because in my transition now going from head coach for the last 14 years into now, um, an assistant coach, the difference of being an assistant to a head is paramount. It's unbelievable how much easier I sleep at night as an assistant coach. Um, it just being the head is incredibly stressful. Um, every decision funnels through you. Even if you didn't make the decision, even if your assistant coach makes a decision, you're still responsible for it. The NCAA came out with clear legislation about that with compliance rules like five, six years ago. Like, because every head coach was like, I didn't know my assistant coach was violating recruiting policies 78 times a week for the last 10 years. Like, I had no idea. And so they finally came out with a ruling that said, it's your responsibility to know. And if you don't know, that's your fault. You are responsible. And so, like, and so they've just taken a hard stance. But ultimately, I do believe that's true. Like, if you're not fostering an environment of accountability, transparency, and trust where people can speak up and, and, and feel free to talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, how frequently they're doing it, why we're doing it, then you kind of yeah, you're you're kind of setting a culture for, for things to happen in the shadows. And that's not a great culture, I would say. So um it just it's it's a so much more response, the burden of ultra responsibility of a head coach. So um transitioning from athlete to assistant coach didn't feel that different honestly from uh at all uh, i was still training 
I just finally had time to fully invest in like being there for my athletes. But I was a team captain my junior and senior year and really started to take on a lot of those responsibilities in the gym in that role a lot anyway. And really enjoy and really that's kind of what I think got me interested in coaching is like I realized that if we wanted to win as a team, someone had to be willing to step up, speak up, pull their teammates along. And I think that that was the if there was one main difference that was really challenging, it was instantly when you're not an athlete and you become the coach, even though I was still a training athlete, I wasn't on their team. You you lose that um, almost rite of passage to, to, to use the word we, right? Like, Hey, if we're going to like, cause you're just, you're not going through the morning practices with us, man. You weren't at the team house when that went down or whatever or last week at like, you're just immediately, there's this wall that gets put up. And so I think that was, that was a big, that was a transition. Um, I still felt like I was very relatable. I knew them very well, but I was all of a sudden not one of them. I was not on the team with them. I wasn't going to be on the competition floor, raising my hand to try to compete for a championship. Um, for them, I would be standing on the sidelines in a polo, right? And just that creates a barrier that I think is, it just immediately changes the relationship, right? Especially, so that was that part to navigate. Right, especially like um, you being a gymnast and going through the same things that they probably were going through, not necessarily the same um, exact situations or same exact scenarios, right? Because you're not in those experiences, specific ones, but you probably have similar ones. Now, was it hard for you to have that credibility from them because you've already probably been through it and could understand most of the stuff that they're probably telling you, you know? Um, yeah. Cause, Cause that sounds like <clears throat> knowing that you, like if you were someone who just kind of came, you're either from somewhere else, like a different program, or if you are from a completely different sport, coming in and learning something new be like okay you don't understand this or if they didn't know you i could understand it more being like you you aren't going through the grind so you don't understand how i feel but you yeah. did right i actually was going through the grind but i think that's what makes it such a perfect example right is even in tra i was literally training for the olympics on the senior national team and just came off a world championship team but the second I wasn't on the team with them, this idea of you don't understand what we're going through as the team, like became a thing and it became a real thing. And, and even being an alumni, I'm like, I literally set up your product a lot of like, you know what I mean? Like I helped develop a lot of the things that you do and the reason that you do them, but instantly that I wasn't on the team training to compete for that team that year, our relationship and dynamic changed completely. And so my coach, my, my approach as a coach, I helped my athletes all the time um, with what they needed to do, how we could be better technical coaching as a junior and senior. Like that was the culture we had on a, on our men's team at Illinois. And I love that. But again, how I approach those conversations, the second I graduated became very different because I wasn't on the team with them. And so my experience didn't translate, didn't correlate. Um, and not that it really ever did even when I was, because as a very talented athlete, I think what it took for me to be great versus any other one of my teammates to be great is different because they came from different backgrounds. What makes them tick um, and what makes them, you know, become great is very different. It's a different recipe for everyone. Right. So yeah. And I think it's a job to figure out, help them, help them figure out that recipe. 
Now, growing up, was that something you wanted to do? Like when you were a gymnast yourself thinking, hey, I want to coach or was it your time at Illinois and being a captain kind of cultivated that um, coaching desire within you? Or, you know, as I mentioned earlier, when you're a young um, athlete, just kind of developing and seeing your coaches, or your mentors saying, hey, I want to do that one day. Learning to get into coaching, I say now I, I can't imagine doing anything other than coaching, but it was not like growing up like this is all I wanted to do. Coaching, honestly, when it first started was a means to an end for me. Um, the assist, they, they created the second assistant position. It was just a, it was a baseline salary, but allowed me to stay at Illinois with my coaches, with my, my familiarity uh, and, and train for the Olympics for those two years. So I graduated in 06 and trained for the 2008 Olympics. And so it literally was just a way to like, make ends meet, stay there and train for the games. Um, and then slowly in doing it, I, I really started to love and appreciate and value the relationships I was able to create, um, the change I was able to help instill in, 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 in some of my former athletes, players, recruits, whatever, you know, and, and learning to really appreciate that one, because I saw how much it helped change my life. Like I came into college, lost in many ways all the talent in the world but didn't have the foundation of what it took to be dialed in and focused and committed to a mission right and just but that was a, that was a very long learning process for me and so I, I i got to be able to help people through that learning process saw what it was able to do to me saw how it was able to help them and i was like this is really cool and it was honestly never about the gymnastics it was really about the life lessons and seeing the light bulb go off above people's heads like oh god that's that's what you mean that's how i become great at something it's like yes he figured it out and like so having those moments um and they're rare and few and far between you know those big moments um but i i started to really value that and like helping um people see the bigger picture of, of how to become great at something and and i was like this is incredible and i know i could do it in somewhere else but i just i had the natural in uh, gymnastics, because I did it my whole life. And so I coached gymnastics, but honestly, that's not my passion. Coaching people and helping people develop into their strengths is what I love doing best, which is why part of the reason I love where Ashley's put me in this program is like, I'm kind of the team culture um, lead uh, and have just spent like a month putting together like our team retreat. And I'm so excited. I've never been more excited about something in my life. So I'm super nervous about it, but that's how I know I'm excited about something. Yeah, no, that's good because I agree with you, man, because that's the way I coach too. Like I tell people this all the time and sometimes it's hard to tell people this because it may seem like you don't care about the gymnastics, but it's like, that's yeah, not what I do. I do. I do. Right. It, but that's not what gets me excited. It's the process that go that the athletes go through, that we go through, um, that helps us learn about ourselves, right? Like I was talking to an athlete this week and I mentioned to her, I was like, sometimes when you face adversity, it's really not about the adversity. It, it really talks about who you are as a person, right? It's how do you approach oh, yeah. it? Like, what are you going to do about it? If you have like a mental block or you um, feel a little bit sore or you're tired or whatever the case may be and you have these things, it's not really that that's really the, the main issue or the thing that's really being worked on. Like those things you could probably do a hundred thousand times over and be okay. But in that time, I'm tired. I am feeling worn out. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing or I just don't know what's happening. 
now I learn about myself and this is where character gets um, developed, right? This is where perseverance and who you are and your identity starts to be um, developed or even tested and challenged. And that's where you grow as a person, you know? And so for me, I'm, I the love- The only place to grow. Right, and I love- right? When it's easy, it's it's practices are like this, tick, 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 you're done, right? Like you, you don't really learn anything on those super easy practices that feel like everything was just on fire that day. Like, it's great to have those days, but you, there wasn't much growth, you know, right? Like, you're not really testing and challenging yourself. Right. Um, and we all yeah. need those. We, we we need those days. And we need coaches um, who really... Train those days. Yeah, and who, <laughs> who help us through those. Because, man, I know it's hard. Sometimes it's hard watching him go through it because you're just like, I have the solution. Like, I can tell you the solution. I can try to give you this motivational speech. But again, it's up to them. And it's for them to build build upon themselves. Right. And I can't necessarily do that for them, but I can be alongside and supporting them. And even if I have to take a back seat and watch from, um, from the back seat, rather than being on the passenger seat right next to you, as you go through it, sometimes you need that, you know, and no, and for an athlete to know, Hey, he's in the back seat, but he still has an eye on me. He's watching my back or she's watching my back is super important to them. But understanding like, hey, you need to drive this vehicle by yourself because you need to learn that if you um, take this turn or don't take this turn, this is what it does or this is what it doesn't do. And it also, I think one of the biggest things that that I've learned too is like, we all had to have a journey that we um, have been on to get to this moment. So for for you and I, we have gone through a bunch of stuff to get to today, right? So using all the stuff that we that we learned to get to today is going to drive us to get to tomorrow and then the next yes. day, right? And if we remember that when we face certain obstacles, we've had to do that before. In our sports, if I didn't have a skill, like say I didn't have my roundout back handspring and now I do, you went through some things and some adversities to get it, right? Now, don't you think the same thing is going to happen for the next skill that you're going to do? Now, if I have to go and throw a full right on floor or a full on vault, you, the same process is going to happen. You ended up not being able to do it to being able to do it. Just go on this similar journey. And guess what? Before you know it, you've arrived and you're going on your next goal. Hey, I'm doing my full and a half or I'm doing my double back or I'm doing my whatever it is. Um, and just reminding the athletes like, that's just part of life. Like not to make some of those things as big of a deal, even though they are right in the moments, they're huge deals, but let them know, like you're going to be okay. Right. And try to support them through that. Yeah. Before anything was great. It wasn't right. Before you could do it, you couldn't, you know, <laughs> like you just, yeah. And, but we lose that with, and I think it's, that's one of the things that's hardest today because we are constantly looking at highlight reels more than ever before. And so there was this constant external comparison, which actually I loved. And I, I had a pretty heated conversation with someone about this, you know, like so much of, and, and one of the pillars of our program is growth, right? It's constantly looking at self-improvement. Like how are you developing and growing throughout your journey? And you have to have that. But at the same time, I was someone that was really, really driven by external comparison to where other people were at. Like I, I, something that got me high in my sport that I just loved, that got me so excited about what I was doing was pushing the threshold of gymnastics. Like 
And so if other people were going to do a double double and that became the standard on floor or whatever, like, well, I was going to figure triple double out. Right. And like, I was the second person in the world to compete a triple double. Um, you know, uh, it just, and like that, that's kind of what guided my gymnastics is always staying a step ahead of everyone else. As far as the bigger skills, that was just kind of like my thing. Right. Um, and so like, it kind of drove me to do that. Um, but I grew up in a world with VHS tapes and super eights and like, like the, iPhone, like the first iPhone came out in 2007, right? Like, and it wasn't even a big deal. We were still carrying around like our power shot cameras, you know, like right. Canon power shot camera. <laughs> so like, I wasn't staring at Instagram, like Twitter was a new thing. So like, I think that the, the, the younger generation of athletes nowadays grow up with in just a constant barrage of how easy and successful everything is for everyone else in their life, or at least so it appears, right? And so I think that makes it really hard to focus truly on your growth because the scales have flip-flopped. Back when we grew up, it was like all you kind of had to compare on was your growth and the, and the and the kids in your gym, the other kids in your gym, right? And then when you went to a meet every now and then, but like through your summer development, like it was just you and the equipment. Whereas now every single day, it's a constant barrage of how everyone else you're following is doing better than you are because it's their highlight reel constantly, right? And so I think it's harder to focus on your growth because you're constantly reminded how far behind you are. And so I think that's where you got to shut that stuff down, right? Um, I think that's why we've gotten away so much from talking about comparison because I think it's happening at an unprecedented scale every day, day in, day out on TikTok, Instagram, whatever, YouTube. So, but it's funny because I I looked, I actually really thrived on that. Um, and so I wonder if I grew up in this generation, would it, would it be too much? I don't know. Right. Now, who are some mentors that you had that kind of helped you get to the place that you're at now? Or did you have any at all that kind of led you or change your life and change your perspective and say, this is who I want to be when I am a coach? because I've seen how they were with me. Yeah, I think I've, I, I, I'm constantly, I'm like a parrot. Like I'm constantly pulling from people. Like I'll probably pull something from your, our conversation today to bring into the retreat. Like I, I, I'm a, I'm a sponge for like listening and hearing to people. Um, but I do it through conversation, like all my learning, like I, I read a ton of books, but like, I feel like I've done my best learning through, Heated discussion. It's so funny. Heated discussions with other people, right? Um, my dad was a big one who I probably had a, a million <laughs> heated discussions. I, as he said, I was a tough kid to raise because um, I, I was constantly pushing the boundaries. Great in gymnastics, not so much with rules of the household to my dad. But my dad, it's funny, the older we've gotten now, the more he tells me um, his story and his upbringing. I'm like, you were the same damn person, dad. Like, Every part of your career, he went to West Point, but then told me how he would sneak out at times. And one time he like painted one of the bronze statues on campus, like grounds for expulsion from West Point Military Institute, right? Yeah. West Point, like one of them, like back in the 60s. And he was a rebel. And I'm like, I'm the same. I'm you, dad. I'm you. That's so funny. But he ended up being an experimental test pilot, an astronaut. Um, like he literally went up in the shuttle of Atlantis in 1985. Wow. He served two tours in Vietnam. He was an army ranger. Um, he did some, in my eyes, some of the coolest things you could possibly do in the entire world. Um, and I just thought, 
his stories and how he pushed the threshold and like understanding leadership from a military dynamic and how they, they, you know, like, um, I mean, you know, West Point is literally a, a military, a military leadership development academy, you know? Um, and then, and then, and, and also in my household, I had my mom who did 28 years of phys- of PE teaching. She was a teacher. And so went through the grind of teaching. So like, that's kind of my upbringing, like this push the threshold military leadership style and a mother who was in the grind of, of teaching elementary school PE. And so like, th- those are two massive mentors of like what I do now. I'm a coach. Um, I don't think I could do the, I don't think I could do elementary school like my mom did, but you know, so I'm teaching college um, young women to, to do gymnastics, but it's really teaching leadership through the, through the conduit of gymnastics. So they were two pillars in, in my household every day um, that kind of, I think, taught me the foundation of what I wanted to be, how I wanted to do things and what I want to do in my life. I would say specifically as a coach, though, I probably had two um, two big ones. Ron Brandt, uh, who was our program coordinator for the national team through my quad, was amazing. I, I think I look up to him because he was a leader in a way that I don't think I was able to be, but then took a lot of, from it. Um, no one was more comfortable having intense, uncomfortable conversations than Ron Brandt. Um, I think I'm a little bit more of a, I, I'm a very intense person, but I think I, it was something I had to learn to do throughout my coaching tenure was step into those really uncomfortable conversations. Um, I watched him do it at national team camps with, with with fuming personal coaches with irate 28 year old seven time national team member two time olympic athletes themselves getting upset about the way a selection was done and and he calmly stepped into those conversations and i i really envied that one of the first times that i actually talked about this on a different podcast i made the national team I'm at my first national team camp at the Olympic Training Center. And it's my first time, right? And so I'm just like, oh man, I'm like, hair's parted. I'm just arms by my side, like ready for, you know, ready for duty, sir. Like, like, let's go, like just dialed in first timer, right? Total new newbie. And uh, on the national team is Blaine Wilson, the most veteran of veterans you could have in the space. And it is like literally day one. And I laughed about it with Blaine Wilson on a podcast, um, because he came in, it was morning practice, and he was basically like, screw this. Like, I'm not doing this. And it was an exercise in presentation. It was essentially ballet and walking the lines and like working on like how to look sharp as an athlete. And Blaine, as you know, is the bad boy of, of men's gymnastics. At that time, he was literally just finishing up his tenure of like seven time USA all around, back to back to back to back to back to back to back, to back all around champion. He'd have been on three Olympic teams and he was like pushing through into his, maybe potentially his fourth Olympic games. And so I'm like, what an icon, but I know him personally, but he ends up getting Ron Brandt ends up kicking him out. Mm. And the first national team, because he was kind of making a mockery of this like ballet presentation exercise we were doing. And if Ron hadn't kicked him out, I think my perception of how, that uh, 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 the attention to detail and how important was, I don't know, just like it was a monster lesson for me of what's acceptable here at the national team and the training center and what is not. 
And Blaine like laughs and in hindsight, he's like, on hindsight, yeah, I probably shouldn't have been such an a-hole in that moment. I was like, you know what though? It set the tone for me as the new guy for four years of where we draw the line of acceptable behavior and also setting standards and expectations in national team camps. And it and it it stuck with me forever of like you show up and you and you and you dig in and you and you work your ass off. And you pay respect to your coaches. And if you don't, you're gonna get you're gonna be asked to leave. Because if Ron's gonna boot seven-time national team all-around champion, three-time Olympian, he was like a 14-time national team member, right? Like you're gonna kick him out. Who am I as my first? So like it just put me in in like dialed in mode. I was like, dude, you better keep your you better keep it together. Cause if he can get kicked out, you're gonna get kicked out over way less. So I just it was such a moment for me in my coaching and athlete career. I'll never forget it. Um, I think about that all the time now as a team manager of like how your best athletes, if they are also the ones that set the standard and set expectations in your gym, that's a program that's going to win championships. But if your best athletes are the ones that challenge and question and you as a coach allow that and tolerate that, your team culture is going to fall by the wayside. And then you've lost your team. So how do you deal? Okay. So how do you deal with that? So say I am like, you know, the most talented um, athlete on your team, um, but I may be opinionated. Like I, I feel strongly about certain things, you know, like why do we do sticking? Like for what? Like, what's the point of this is stupid. Like, why should we do it? You know, I can go out and I can score, you know, nine, 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 five average on whatever, like, we don't need to work on this. Like, you know, and that's the problem. What they're really saying is I don't need to work on this, but they say, why are we doing this? And I think it's teaching that lesson that as a part of a team and trying to raise the bar of excellence, what excellence looks like for everyone, just because you're basically right here because of your God given talent. Well, guess what? The rest of your team isn't. And if we set the standard for what you needed to be great, we just like we wouldn't be working out half the time, but then your team would be terrible, and then we'd never win as a team. So if we want to win as a team, what does it take to bring everyone up to the standard of excellence, and how do we get everyone there? And so it's a team first mentality, which can be really, really hard for those really talented athletes. Um, I would say that as a, as a defining dip separator of of super talented, uh, but one, one, cause I, I was, I mean, I was crazy talented. Things came very, very easy for me and I was a mess in my own way. But if one, if I had one thing, I cared about the team so much. Like I chose to go to Illinois because my team was the single most important thing for me. And so I was, I was very, I was very easily able to buy in quickly. I think by just being like, you have to do this for the team. And I was like, okay, that was like my, I was like done. I, I, I give up, like I'm in, like, what do I got to do? I think you're the hardest ones are where you have a, a super talent that's not team driven. That's, those are some of the hardest, most difficult athletes I've ever had to work with in my entire coaching career. Granted, it's only been 16 years of a coaching career, but like, those are the ones that I, I like, and I have names and it's not because I don't love them as people. I love, I really love, they were just the hardest to navigate through a team construct in an NCAA team. Because in the end, they don't maybe need to do those things, to your point. They stick on command, maybe all the time. 
Right. So they they still have to run through. And if but if they don't toe the line of like we do this because that's what it takes to be the best here, if they don't take that in and then exude that and even ask it from their teammates, it is really hard to get the middle of the bell curve and even the bottom of the bell curve to buy in to do the extra things, to take the extra turns, to bring that unbelievable purpose to the tedious stuff that kind of the stuff that's hard, the stuff that's not fun. But right. if they do that, again, your team will be undeniably great. Your team will be champions. But right. if they fight it, it's going to be it's, you're going to get stuck. Right. And I think one one of the big things, too, is like when you're thinking about recruiting, because one of the biggest like um, reasons why I'm doing this podcast is trying to help athletes, parents and coaches connect to the right people at certain universities. I think sure. no matter what, you know, Alabama has tradition um, of excellence with their gymnastics program. And no matter who's at the head of it or who's the assistant coaches can de determine if those traditions either continue or they're different traditions, right? Because the personnel changes um, like a brick or mortar type of institution, right? So, uh, Absolutely. And so if, if I say, hey, you know what, this is how I connect well to coaching, I want to find the right personnel and people, either coaches, team, staff, whatever it is that will help me um, be my best. Um, that's kind of really the main point of me doing it with colleges or having these conversations with colleges because I want athletes to be able to know before they even really start their process what they're getting into because, and this is my personal opinion, and I'd have to talk to some more athletes to kind of get like the actually why these are but for like transfer portal stuff right like i think that's a big thing is because they get there and they're like you know what i'm a this caliber of athlete so these are the schools that i'm gonna look at and once i finally get there you know i just want to be known to hey i've made it to alabama and i'm part of that it's been my dream school or it's traditionally been my dream because my family all went here this and that but during that time, this is the coaches and there's been five different coaches or three different coaches or one different one coach the whole time. And when I get there, I don't really feel happy there because I don't connect well to the coach. Yeah. You know, I might be that I athlete. The recruiting ch process change has helped tre tremendously with that. Girls were committing in the eighth grade for, for seventh and eighth grade. Like, how do you even know what you're looking for at that point? Right. So I think that the recruiting later, we're actually doing official visits before you commit. That is game changing to this process. So, and I will tell you though, it's a big game still. There's a lot of coaches out there that will tell you one thing and they are not like that in the gym at all. I can tell you, Ashley, and I think our whole staff at Alabama pride ourselves on being genuinely and truly authentic and transparent in our process for this exact reason, PD, that you bring up. The last thing we want to do is bring a kid in to our program and have them show up shocked that this is the way we do things, that these are the people that my coaches are. That's because that's not good for anyone. Because then they do transfer, they talk trash, and it's like we, we like we believe in being our authentic self for that exact reason. We want you to come in and know exactly what you're getting. Right. So now um, how is it hard ever, you know, being, you know, if you're going to be transparent to be like, okay, you know what? I know that there's this athlete who's interested in our program and she's a high caliber athlete, right? Because in gymnastics, they don't really necessarily rank athletes like they do in um, football. Some, some blogs do, but yeah, we've got a few that do, but yeah. 
but like say you know hey this this kid is known to be you know i'm a four-time five-time you know jrdp uh, national champion and you know this would be a huge um, asset to our program in regards to routines and stuff like that you know how as a coach is it hard to 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 like separate like the the value of what this athlete can bring and Alex, what our standards yeah and our standards are right and yeah. just being like you know what i may have to like kind of waver on my standards just because if we have this athlete and our goal is to win a national championship like they're going to help us get there or to win secs is that something that you've ever feel like you've had to struggle with or you do struggle with or is that something you're able to just be like you know what i don't care what you can give me gymnastics wise i need the right people to be able to drive this thing to get to a national championship or whatever our goal is i cannot speak on behalf of my head coach but in being a head coach for 14 years of a men's program that was one of my greatest learning lessons Every time I had a year where I had a headache on the team, um, again, there, there, that you don't, you don't get headaches from a, a mediocre athlete and below. You only get headaches from the best because they're the ones that are given second, third, fifth, a hundred chances because they're so good. If you're not. If you're not that good as an athlete and you bring terrible character or a bad attitude, you're going to be gone because there's no, there, you're not providing anything to the, you know what I mean? So like, um, so you only get it when they're the best, but that is also when it's most devastating to your team culture and program, because no one looks up to the person who's not making lineup, you know, if she's complaining or, compl you know, like pointing the finger, but then she's like, it, it, they don't like they may hear her, but they don't look up to her. But if your best athlete, who's the icon in lineup doing all around four events every meet, you know, like if they're the ones that are setting bad examples, to, like bad attitudes, like that's where that sets a precedent that permeates down through your whole program. And I saw that I had enough examples of that to know that it crushed otherwise would have been great teams. And it made my life miserable as a coach. And so, yes, early on, I, I made those sacrifices at times. But then probably six, seven years into coaching, I invested in a recruiting service that actually helped um, delve into a little bit of the, the psyche of the athlete for help for means of helping do that. But, I mean, that we do this on the women's program now. This is why we go and visit athletes sometimes two times before they even come on campus we go and visit before we can talk to them just to watch and evaluate practice we talk to their coaches then we go back and visit them again and visit with their families do home visits i mean we spend a, an, an insane amount of money investing in getting to know them as people and getting to know their character for this exact reason because of how important this is you can evaluate the gymnastics all day youtube makes that so easy I mean, we were at JO Nationals, and then you can pull seven or eight other meets where you can see their gymnastics. You go to my meet scores online. You can see uh, every meet they've had for like it couldn't be easier to evaluate the gymnastics. To me, the entire recruiting process is getting to know them as people. And one, they may be great people, but not a great fit for you and your program. And then two, they may not be a great person. And then you think their gymnastics fits. And that's what you're talking about when you have a problem. To me, I say absolutely not. 
I, to me, I, I draw that line so fast, um, especially in women's gymnastics with score compression. Men's gymnastics were still in straight fig um, where, you know, you could literally have a guy score 15-8 and then the next guy in your team, best guy in your team can score 13-8, like a two-point swing and they open in the code, which is, you could literally can't come back from that sometimes. Right. So like, um, it's not apples to apples from when men's to women's college gymnastics, but I would say with the score compression that exists in women's gym, um, I think that you take the the four and a half star, if you will, recruit that has unbelievable character and great fight and an awesome attitude over the five star questionable character all day, every day. Yeah. Now, how about like the athletes who are really, you know, they're great, great leaders, great people, but they don't have the gymnastics that may be required to compete or to be on a lineup. Would if I was a, a prospect, uh, say again, the field's too deep. Now it's just, you don't have space on your team anymore for, for athletes that aren't even going to scratch the lineup mm. because there's too many great kids that can, that have great leadership, great, great. You know what I mean? That, that have at least the ability to hit a lineup one or on one or two events that are also amazing people. Right. So now is it, and the, the, the reason why I ask is like, um, even say it's like a walk on spot, like someone who can just help, you know, get the, the team, you know, uh, morale up, or even just like when an athlete happens to have a career ending injury and they stay on the team just because their leadership, um, yeah. potential or their leadership is just so great that they are the heartbeat of what the program needs to be at least yep. internally. Right. And sometimes I think there's those athletes that are in clubs who just don't have, again, the gymnastics, they may say, hey, I want to go to Alabama and I just want to serve the team. Hey, can I be a team manager? I Can can I be this? Oh, but yeah. They can, you know, how does we that... We have even better managers too for that, exact, for those things. Absolutely. And how do you like, and I'm I'm really asking more specifically because I've had a, 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 a specific scenario um, where I've had an athlete who has had some injuries and stuff like that. And the way she goes about things, like she works very hard and she's more a silent leader. Like she works hard. She isn't afraid to keep like people accountable um, and she'll work, work, work. Like, you know, she'll she'll try, 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 even though, you know, it might be to her demise, she still tries, but she still wants to be a part of a team right now. What would you say to an athlete like that, who, you know, wants to find a place on a team, like, and just be part of that culture. And again, they may not ever touch lineup, but they're going to help, you know, your top athlete. Hey, you know what? I rem I know that, you know, you can, hit this routine. I know you're the best one on the team, but we still need you to kind of like be an example inside and outside of the gym. And I can be your accountability friend or partner. And that really, you know, support. So is there places either on teams like Alabama or in any other programs like within NCAA where yeah. athletes like that can, can, can um, get on some of these teams again, like, what it takes to make a, a, a lineup in the SEC versus a different conference, I think is very different. Um, if you're asked, I, I think that so, and so, so for that reason, there's a place for them. Absolutely. Um, it just might not be Alabama, you know, or it might not be anywhere else in the SEC. I think it just, it's hard to keep 
someone on your team that's not fighting for a lineup spot on at least one event. Um, and I say that only because the field is so deep. There are so many great characters out there that have at least one event where they could make a lineup here at Alabama or somewhere else, you know? And so like, we look at that first and then make sure the character is there and they're incredible people. Um, I, I just don't think that you can be just an incredible person and still not bring the gymnastics um, only because the field is so deep, because you're going to find someone who has both of those things at least a little bit. And how do you deal with um, within a program? Because I think we've all gone through this, and I know I specifically have gone through this, where sometimes you feel like the coach just, not that he does, they don't see you, but sometimes you feel like, you know what? I have worked hard. I deserve to either get an opportunity to be in a spot in lineup and, or this and that and not taking it, not taking it personal. Cause you know, there's times where it's just like, Sally is always making lineup, even though I feel like I'm better than Sally. And you know, every time we do inner squad, the inner squad is supposed to see who's going to Sally, right. Who's going to be the best person, you know, for this week, we're going up against uh, Florida, you know, we're doing an inner squad on beam. Cause we're, We've just been a little bit shaky on beam. So we got to see, we have nine people up, you know, and I've been number seven every time. Like, how do I not get bitter or how, as a coach, do you approach, you know, um, a Rebecca who might be the one wanting to be in Sally's position, right? Or thinks they're better than Sally. Like, how do you kind of approach that on the events that you coach or even just with the team or even in your previous teams with guys? Yeah. So I've tried. Okay. This is a great, this is a great conversation because at the end of the day, the coach determines that one amazing thing that every athlete is striving and working all year round for. And it's the opportunity to compete. Right. Um, I like taking that out of the coach's hands as much as possible. Um, and I say that because we are a sport based off subjective rules, but still a rules that produce a score that produce an outcome that can be rated based off maximum scoring potential for your team and do that. So we embraced a system and I co-created this with my assist associate head coach, um, who's now took over for me at Illinois. And it was essentially just kind of a model where it was incredibly transparent. Um, and it was a system where at any given time, the athletes knew exactly where they stood as far as lineup goes. And it, and it was cumbersome. Um, essentially we judged and, 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 and rotated judging of all the routines throughout practice, almost, almost every day back in, back in my men's world. Um, and so what, so we would double rank inner squads and almost, sometimes almost triple rank meets, but there's this very, and we're, and we actually funny, you mentioned this, we are creating this exact thing for, for our program now, um, because I, I think that this is such a heated point of contention where, uh, especially again with women's gymnastics, we are talking a quarter of a 10th or a half a 10th is probably separating maybe the top 10 athletes in your lineup. And I thought we did really good last year at setting essentially your li our lineup was never just our top six. We usually, we usually fielded a top eight lineup going into every meet and those top eight girls would, would warm up and compete. And then based off who looked sharpest, who looked dialed in, who looked undeniable and warm up, who looked unfazed by the dim setting, the loud crowd, the, this, the, that, who, you know, who walks in just looking ready to just kill it that day. They were the ones that made it. 
and they were the ones that got the final selection. So in warm up, we will select, um, you know, that final six. But we tell them like eight people make lineup for every meet. Be ready if you're if you're eight, if you're six, if you're seven. Like it could be any of them. Could be any of them. Y- y'all need to be ready. Um, and and that was hard, I think, for some of them. I don't know how the system ran the last time, but really, it is to give the opportunity for when some people are so close to to making that lineup spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the way that you even develop who's top one through eight, we were starting to loosely use my my system from Illinois, which was essentially like bet on me. You got to raise your hand and salute a routine two to three times per week in practice. And then if we had an inner squad, we'd count that score as double. And all this data, all these all these moments in time get put into a, a system that basically spits out. And I had a computer engineer who graduated, wrote the program for this, and he made it so that it spits out the highest scoring team um, very quickly well, with just the running scores. And you can set the date range. You can look at a one month which rarely is one month very indicative, but you might do that as you're going into postseason to look at a little bit longer window of consistency, but usually two-week running average about what we use. And so we plug that in, select two-week average, and we look at everyone. And in Illinois, our athletes had a login. At any given moment, you could log in and see exactly where you lie on every single one of the events based off a two-week, three-week, 10-day, three-day running average. And they knew we set light, we set lineups on Thursday before we would leave and compete on Saturday. And so I would have guys after running the system for you come up to me and go, Hey, I'm two tenths behind my six man. I'm in the seven hole. I'm saluting a routine. I want that spot. And I'm like, game on, buddy, let's go. And he would salute for his spot. And I love that. A guy that was like bet on me, you know, you know, and he'd done the math. He's like, I need to score 14 eight to beat out so and so's average. And I'm like, came on. This is a big moment. Here we go. Yeah. And so they like that was a system where our athletes knew exactly what they had to do. Now that's not to say that you hit that routine, make it. And now now Tommy's going to be like, well, screw that. Like I'm not letting him take my spot. And then he salutes a routine. But you know, it but it it, it created this really highly competitive environment where each athlete at any given time knew exactly what they had to do to earn their spot in lineup. Right. And I think that's exactly what it should be. You know, and so when we had really close competitions, we'd bring three judges in. We'd have me and my two assistants judge a routine. So it was less bias, one coach over the other, you know, and so creating a system that, you know, that did that. And I think it was great. I think our athletes, um, when there was a, a, con- a concern about if why I'm not in lineup, it, it became very quickly a conversation like, hey, I was that six man in lineup why, why did so-and-so go in, you know, and it, and, and, but usually we would have these conversations beforehand so that they didn't even have to approach the coach. And on a rare occasion where we would skip a guy, it would be outright because of unbelievable scoring potential. It'd be like, it's because so-and-so has scored 15 fives on high bar all year. And he had one meltdown at the beginning of love that week. And so, yes, he's eating a 6.8 in his average, but that is not indicative of his comp average. And that is not as indicative of his true scoring potential. So yes, you're beating him in the averages by one tenth, but his scoring potential is 1.7 higher than yours. So we went with the risk over, over that one tenth differential against a top opponent this week. And usually they're like, damn, that sucks. But I understand that. 
you know? Yeah. And so having clear and just open and transparent conversations about those, those times we ever went out of the, uh, out of the system. But I will say it's harder in women's gymnastics because scores almost through your whole field are separated by sometimes half a half a 10th or less. Yeah. So that becomes really challenging. Now, how do you, what are some of your non-negotiables as a coach uh, when you're a head coach, but also as an assistant coach? Um, because I think those things are super important to be established and for the athletes to kind of know, um, you know, what can I do and, and what can I not do? Um, even, it could be character. It could be effort. Because for me, my two like non-negotiables are attitude and effort. Like that drives everything that I do as a coach. Um, and everything that I need from an athlete fears, um, fears, um, lack of ability, lack of talent. Um, uh, you know, some of those other things, yeah, we can work through those, but if you have a, a, a good attitude and you're trying your hardest and you know, you're trying your hardest and giving me, um, and giving really yourself the best opportunities, I have no problems with most of the other stuff. Right. Because I feel like for the most part, you have certain characteristics about you that are in check and are in line. It's hard to like, you know, have a, a lifestyle that doesn't line up with the way you operate. Yes, you can kind of fake it till you make it, but for the most part, who you truly are shows up, right? Um, and I, so, and so for me, you know, attitude and effort. So if you have a crap attitude and you know you're giving me even worse effort, then I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go deal with you know, Rebecca or Sally, you know, instead, just because it's not conducive for what we're trying to do, or even for myself. I, I would, I would agree with you 100%. Effort and attitude are, are the two that are like within your control. I will say the things that have, there's two things in making my transition recently. One, taking over a program or moving into a new program that's being completely overhauled by a new staff is really challenging because you're you're asking to transform uh, a team or you're not asking. We're, we're coming in and trying to transform a team that had completely different, potentially completely different standards, practices, and non-negotiables, right? And so I think there needs to be a grace period for that reason. Um, within that grace period, it also gives you time to build one of the most single important things you can build as a coach athlete relation in, in a coach athlete relationship, which is trust. Before you just come in and start barking on non-negotiable, if the if Ashley and I and she came in last year and just started pulling girls that looked frustrated and be like, hey, that's a bad attitude, you're out, we would have lost all of them. We would have we would have we would have eliminated our ability to develop a relationship to step into some of those tougher conversations, and so I can say that I would that was one of the switches I had to make immediately. But I think it was just instinctive because it comes back to again what level of relationship do you have with your players and athletes? I have I have had people tell me in the past I couldn't believe the conversation I would have with some of my guys. I was like that's because I had amazing under foundation of trust with some of my captains and my, my athletes back on my other team. Um, and we're getting there with Alabama, but I've only been here for literally 12 months. Right. You know, like I had three or four years going into a fifth year with some of my guys where it was like, we knew each other so well. 
So I could come at them with intensity. I could challenge them in a way that I couldn't even dream of challenging some of my freshmen at the time on that team. Or again, my team now here at Alabama. I mean, last year, everyone was a freshman, right? Right. And so like how you approach your non-negotiables, how you like, it, it was, it was a year of educating of what non-negotiables are right? and what we, and why we expect them right? and why they're so important. And we're still doing that. And so I look forward to a day where we have true and undeniable non-negotiables that the team knows so well in and out that when we see a hint of one, we're like, Hey, they like the team's already on. They're like, no, no, no coach. We got it. We don't stand for that here. Like that is, that is a team culture that is pristine, Yes, yes. It, but it takes years right. to build that, right. right? It takes years of consistency and education right. and, and rooting into that to build that. So right now we're just, we have a, we have, I mean, we basically had a brand new team last year. And so I, you're absolutely right. Attitude and effort, but then how people define effort PD is totally different. Right. What I defined effort eight months out from my Olympic games as I was coming back off an ACL tear a year out and then three surgeries, three surgeries just before that is, is I wouldn't have even understood what effort was at that point, my freshman year self. Right. I'd have looked at that and be like, you're out of your mind. That's crazy. You can't like be that committed and dove in. Like I am all in now, buddy. Like, what are you talking about? Like every year I went through my college experience the one year wiser self looked back at the, the the person before him was like, that guy was an idiot. He didn't understand what it meant to be committed to something at all. Right. And so I think that everyone on our program is kind of going through some version of that right now. And so th that's why one of our pillars is growth. Right. We're committed to helping our, our athletes grow through this understanding and developmental process. Um, and then at some point you will have your non-negotiables truly and completely and utterly non-negotiable. Yeah. But until then, it's a learning process. Right. It, it takes time to build be, and, and then and then and sprinkle in the mental health um, stuff and and you've got a really tough environment to work to navigate through. Right. Um, but that but we absolutely have to and are committed to doing that um, for for the health and well-being of our athletes. You know, you can't just come in and start. We don't do that here on Acceptable. You're out. Right. No, that's good. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, it's good. I think that's really good. I think it's really important, you know, for kids to know, the athletes to know, parents to know, um, and, you know, other coaches to know that, you know, you can have, you know, standards, but it, it does take time, right? And relationships need to be built. And then when you do, um, it's easier for them to be adopted. And, um, but as you just said, a grace period, because that was, that, that's something I think that's huge. They I don't need think... to understand it. Right. They have to understand the standard or else they're like, why? Like, like, it's like the talented kid that doesn't want to do stick drills, like inherent, but, but they want to win a team championship. Right. There's a disconnect on that. They don't want to do this, but they don't understand that doing this is how we win a team championship. Right. And so you need to educate them. You need to teach them that, that like, this is how you develop a program and a team dynamic that is charging towards all the things that make them great. Right. It's not about you not needing it. It's about setting a standard of excellence for the whole team. And you as the lead educator, because you're the best one on the team, if you don't tow that standard, then why would any of the other, the other ones do it as well? Right. And so like you are, they don't, and they just don't get that. It takes time to learn those things. Right. Well, I really appreciate you on, I want to continue our conversation um, some more. Um, I think I want to have you on a couple more times because we even we we didn't even dive into your transition from going from guys I feel like we to just girls. Got started. I know. <laughs> um, 
and I want to, I want to, you know, continue. So, um, we'll have to, you know, book another time for you to be on. Cause I just love these conversations and also just kind of have some other, you know, hot topics and hard topics. And we can even talk about how the retreat went and stuff like that. And just, you, you asked know. some great questions though, PD. I will tell you, like you, you got me fired. You got me heated. You got, you got, you, I mean, you <laughs> went right to some of, the, some of the, I think some of these are some of the most highly debatable, like, and there's a lot of buzzwords like standards and expectations, but like the subtle nuances of how you follow through with them and how you actually institute them. It would have been easy for me to say non-negotiables are non-negotiable, but I'm like, that's not practical. And that's not really, and you can't, it's not, that's not a reality when all the time, Yeah, there's a time for that, but right. we're not there. But I think we're it still- creates, it creates an opportunity for rebels to rise up, right? Because a lot of times it's rebels, rebels rise up because they have rules that they may not really understand the impact of. And so that's why they rebel, right? Because they're just like, this is holding me back from something I probably want to do, but I don't have an understanding. Like, you know, yep. why is this? And those are education opportunities. That's the time as a coach, you get to step in and 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 have it become a learning lesson for them as well as the whole team. Right. And so we had a year of that and we're going to and we're going to have many years more of that, right? Yeah. But that but in doing that that's how you get to a team that really sees the non-negotiables as truly non-negotiable. Right. And it's just stepping into those moments, which is why Ron Brandt, my national team coordinator, was I just I envied that moment because I'm like he taught all of us to come full circle like what we what we what but he had been the national team coordinator for like 18 years at that point so he'd set this so i stepped into that culture and was like holy hell i get it game on you know and so right. like I, I just we're building to that we will be there right to where we don't like you don't and you know we don't have to call them on stuff because the team gets it they know it they own it and they push forward and it'll just be more like guiding molding that's the other thing is i think everyone thinks are these big st- you know moments where you're like we don't stand for that here. Like that's not right. You know, that doesn't have to be that. That's yeah. not what it's like. No, for it's sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And well, I, I I appreciate everyone for tuning in. I, these these are the conversations that are I think are super important. I think they help um, people. And again, as what heated conversations are about. Um, it's helping equip athletes to transform. And these are the conversations and some of them may end up being heated as we do, do things. And we may have disagreements <laughs> and stuff like that, but that's okay. Cause I think these healthy conversations kind of help navigate through some of these things and we get to know each other better and find different ways to be able to grow as athletes, as people, as coaches, as parents. And so thank you for tuning in. Follow us on, um, Instagram, on YouTube, on Spotify, as well as Apple Music. Um, you can also follow Alabama Gymnastics on all social media platforms and follow them this season um, as they compete. And again, thank you, Justin, for being on. And I look forward to multiple of these conversations that we we're, we're, uh, we will have in the future to hopefully help you know the next generations and the current generations of coaches and athletes to be able to be the best versions of themselves. So thank you again for tuning in to Heated Conversations.